0: do life for Jesus, and let me explain that a little bit, it, we try to do life for Jesus instead of with Jesus, and so here's, here's what I want you to get from this, is we do life with Jesus, not for Jesus, and what I mean by that, if you grew up like I did, you grew up with a lot of, a lot of do's and don'ts, right, you do this, you don't do that, 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 don't do that right? And, and that's how we were raised, that's how we grew up, and, and, and but that's not with Jesus. If you live that way, you're doing it for Jesus. Like, you're scared you're going to go to hell if you do this, so you're doing it for Jesus and, and not with Jesus. And I believe that's a, that's a lot of Christians have missed the mark on this. I believe that's why we have a lot of, uh, like, wishy-washy Christians out there, is because God calls us not to do these things, or I'm going to strike you down, but why does God Why is God, why are we here? If you read the word of God, we're here because he wanted a relationship with us. And that means we do life with Jesus and not for Jesus because he wants to know us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know his character, what he's like. But I think if we're honest, the whole idea of doing life with Jesus, it's confusing it's hard to understand opposed to just obeying commands we like that we think we like that better right just give me the abc's pastor give me how many times if somebody asks me a question if i do this am i still going to go to heaven i'm like come on if you're asking that question pretty good chance not you know but i don't say that but i'm just saying you know it, 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 i get that all the time right and that's not the point the point is to do it with Jesus, and, but we don't like that because, okay, that pastor, what does that mean? That means instead of doing A, B, and C, we've got to get to know him. We've got to get to understand the Father, spend time with the Father, listen to what the Father has to say. And some of us are like, man, just tell me what to do, Right? And so that's kind of where the, the rub comes in, doing life for Jesus or, or with Jesus. But the invitation for you and I is something greater. It's, it's a relationship. You know, it's something we should hunger for, we long for, right? I mean, just think of a, of, a, of a relationship you have in your life. If it's a girlfriend, if it's a spouse, if you constantly feel like you have to do something for them, I mean, how long is that going to last? But you're living life with them. There's joy in that. There's excitement in that. And that's what we're supposed to be with Jesus, to do life with Jesus, Uh, to be in a relationship with Jesus. That's what we're created for. But sometimes we're impatient with the process, aren't we? We don't like the process. Like, just tell me, I mean, I just want to come to church. I want to be slain in the spirit. And I'm going to be like, this was God. But then I tell you, week after week, you know, we got to pray. We got to read the Bible. Like, I don't, I stink at both of those things. And I'm like, okay, read a, a one chapter a day, pray for five minutes a day. And here's what happens over time, you do that for a solid month. Next month, you up your game. You got like a good 10 minutes throughout the day you spend with Jesus. The month after that, you've got probably a good 20 minutes a day you spend with Jesus. And you're reading the Word of God. The Word of God is getting into you. And and six months later, before you know it, you're referencing Scripture. You're like, I didn't know I could do that. Yeah, because God is creating something in you. As you do the small things, as you're faithful in the little things, God develops something inside of you. Before you know it, you're in a better place than than you've ever been in your life. Why? Because you've been doing the little things. But we don't like the process. We get lost in the process sometimes. I'm talking about continually having a hunger for God, for the things of God. And so today I want us to look at another way to develop hunger, a hunger for God. And it's going to sound kind of funny because this, it maybe scratch your head a little bit because we're in this series about hunger. But today I want to talk about fasting, a very non popular topic, fasting. You know, we're going to talk about that because, you know, I think fasting is undervalued today in our world. Because he you think about the fasts, you, you hear about, you know, like January is a great time. You know, you can get your diet in and a fast in all at the same time, right? You just knock two out, one, you know, 21-day fast. And, that, and that's kind of what, about the only time some of us ever think about fasting is that time. And so I just want to talk about fasting. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 to 17, because I want you to see the, the heart of fasting here. So Matthew chapter 9, 14 to 17 says this. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. So here's a picture. John the Baptist has some disciples following him. They're fasting. The Pharisees, these are religious elite. They think they know it all. They're very showy. They're fasting. Okay, if it was just them by themselves, you're like, oh, that's just who they are, Right? But then John the Baptist, his guys are fasting too. So you're like, okay, there might be something to this. And everybody's looking at Jesus and his disciples, and they're not. They're like, oh, what's going on? And so in verse 15, Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunken, unshrunken cloth on old garment, for the patches tear away from the garment, and worse, a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put in old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But a new wine is put in the fresh fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. And so we're talking about fasting. Let me give you kind of a broad definition of fasting. And the broad definition of fasting is something like this it's, it's uh, sustaining from something, usually food, for a spiritual reason. So that's kind of, so we're all on the same page, this is kind of a broad definition. Sustain from something, usually food for a spiritual reason. So in our text here, we see John the Baptist are fasting, his disciples are fasting, Pharisees fasting, but the disciples are not. And so everybody's got this question. Jesus answers him. he said, Well, the bridegroom's here. What does he mean by that? He's saying, God is here, God is with you. The Son of Man is here. Why fast when I'm here? He said, There's gonna be a day when they're gonna fast, and that day is gonna be when I'm gone. So I want us to see the context of this because there's a lot going on here. And I really want you to understand the heart of fasting. So Jesus is saying, when the bridegroom is not here, we're going to fast. We're not going to fast like we used to. So he's kind of identifying the heart behind fasting. Because here's what it was up to now: all they've known about fasting is comes from the Old Testament, and up to now, the Old Testament way of fasting was always a type of fasting, right? So you'd fast for consecration. Like Joshua, before he went to the promised land, he wanted to consecrate himself, so he fasted, right? So it was a type of fasting. They fasted for grief. They fasted for intervention. Esther, when that was going on in the book of Esther, you see they fasted, right? And it was for intervention. There's fasting for repentance, fasting for forgiveness. And this is the Old Testament. So this is the Old Testament way of fasting. Now they're bringing, that's all they know, Right? And so they're bringing that attitude and that, that relationship with fasting into the New Testament. And now they're saying, well, why isn't, Jesus, why isn't Jesus and his disciples fasting? They don't get it. They don't understand what's going on. It, it's like here, Jesus is saying old wineskins, new wineskins. He's saying, we don't fast like that anymore. Why? Why don't we fast? like? Because the bridegroom is here. There's still something there. It's not clicking for them that this is the son of God here. And the bridegroom is here. We don't fast that way no more. We fast because we fast because we have a little taste of the kingdom. And after you had a little taste of the kingdom, nothing else is going to satisfy you. So we fast because there's a hunger inside of each of us. Every human being on a planet earth has a hunger inside of them for the things of God. Most people don't know that's what that is, so again, we fill it up with all this junk food and all this crud of life. We try to get satisfied. We, get a, we need a better job. That will satisfy me. If I make more money, that will satisfy me. If I get this house, that will satisfy me. If I get this car, that will satisfy me. If I get that wife, that she will satisfy All these things, you know, we, we think we're going to satisfy our life, but we're filling up with junk food, but we understand there's a better way, and that's what Jesus is pointing to right here. You're fasting wrong. But there's a better way. There's a better option. You know, Melissa and I, when we, when we started dating, I am, and I think you know this, my heart, is I am a meat-potato guy, right? I mean, just give me meat and potatoes, and I'm a happy camper. You know, until I met Melissa, I really didn't know anything about vegetables, right? <laughs> the best vegetable was corn. And if you really pressed me, I had to have something green on my plate, I'd grab a green bean. And I, I mean, besides that, just give me a steak. And a baked potato, give me some ribs. I don't know I just a meat potato. I've grown, you'll be happy to you know I've grown I eat, I eat almost everything, Brussels sprouts. you know I haven't got the greens yet. that's still a little outlier for me, but I, you know I'm grown, I'm developing. But when you're dating, so I'm a meat and potatoes guy, so I know meat. you know I, I love meat, smoke meat I, I just it's, it's, it's my heart, right? And so, we started dating. I always wanted to go to a steakhouse. And so we'd go to a steakhouse, and I'd get a juicy steak. I mean, it'd be pouring out juices, and Melissa calls it blood, but I'm telling her it's not blood. And, <laughs> and it's, just, it's just heaven on a plate, right? And every time we'd go, I started noticing she would order chicken, a grilled chicken breast. And I'm like, that kind of hurt my heart. <laughs> but time after time, we'd go, we'd go get a steak and a baked potato. And she'd get chicken. And then finally, I broke down like, OK, hey, this is like a game changer. Do you like steak or not? She's like, eh, it's all right. Like, like, that hurts. It's all right. Are you kidding me? And so come to find out, so her experience with steak is her family liked it well done. Like really, really well done, right? Now, for those of you who like it well done, we'll have an altar call later. We'll help you pray through. That is not the way you eat steak. And so you can understand, though, those of you who have a love of steak, you understand. A well-done steak, you're like, eh, you know, eh. You'll still eat it because of steak, but it's like not, you know, eh. But then you have one, that you just put your fork on it and it just melts and the juices just flow. You eat that and all of a sudden you know there's something better, right? <laughs> and that was Melissa. So she, so a time I said, all right, close your eyes. You got to start them off slow, right? Close your eyes so you don't see the redness and the, the juices and all the happy goodness there. But close your eyes and just take a bite of this. And she did and she's like, Well, that's good. Yes, it is. It's very good, right? And so that's what we see happening in in this lesson here with Jesus. He's saying, there's something better. It's like you guys have been doing this, and it's been, "Eh, it's all right, but it's kind of, "Eh," you know. But then there's something better. He said, you've tasted. You've known. You see. You've experienced. I've been walking with you. You know there's something better. That's what you're fasting for. That's what you're going for. That something better is there. We fast not because we have to consecrate ourselves. Jesus already did that. We understand that. He took care of that. We fast because we've tasted and we know there's something better. If you're giving your life to Jesus, you know there's something better. That time you can experience, you can tell me date and probably the time you got saved, it was a magical moment, and God did something in your heart. That moment you tasted a big old juicy steak. You can't go back to that well done. You tasted, and you know that time you got filled with the Holy Spirit. You know there's something better. There's something better. There's nothing better in the presence of God. One pastor said it this way. I have the quote for you. So we've tasted the powers of the age to come, and our new fasting is not because we're hungry for something we have not tasted, but because the new wine of Christ's presence is so real and so satisfying. The newness of our fasting is this its intensity comes not because we have never tasted the wine of Christ's presence but because we have tasted it so wonderfully by His Spirit and cannot now be satisfied until the consummation of our joy arrives. That's it. You've tasted something better. How can you settle for anything less? How can you settle for mediocrity? Well, you know there's something better. So what does what is, what is fasting accomplish then? Okay, fasting. I want you to think of fasting. Fasting is like a superfood, right? We're talking about the food genre. Fasting is a superfood. Here's the definition of a superfood a nu- nutrient oh rich food considered to be especially beneficial for health and well being. It's fuel for your soul with power. With power. The power to do things you're not capable of doing on your own. The power, let me show you. In Mark 17, or Mark chapter 9, and Matthew chapter 17, we find this story. The disciples go to cast out a demon. This is nothing new, something they've done before. They have experienced this, they're good at it, they can cast out demons, right? So they go cast out this demon, and he's stubborn, he doesn't want to go. And they're scratching their heads. They're like, what's going on? I don't understand. And then all of a sudden, Jesus walks in. How many knows when Jesus walks in? That's a game changer, right? Jesus walks in, casts demon out like nothing. The cyborgs was like, what's going on? Why, didn't, why couldn't we do that? Why, what, what happened? And look at Jesus' response. Jesus says this. He says, this kind. First of all, that'll mess you up. This kind. That means there's, there's, there's different kinds of demons out there. Okay, But Jesus says this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. Only through prayer. What does he mean? It means you don't have the power. It means you need some extra power. You're not going to be able to do this on your own. That's what he's saying to you and I this morning. There's some things in this life we can't do on our own. only comes through power, through prayer and fasting that we get from the Lord. It gives us power to do these things. Let me show you how this works out practically for us. There are situations you have to deal with that you don't have the strength to, to respond appropriately. I mean, you have the strength to respond, but to respond appropriately, is it, it's not within us. It's like we know what we should do, we know how we should respond, we know, but there's, like, there's a flip the switch inside of us, and before we know it, like we dispute hatred and anger all over. You know, it's like Paul. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't, I don't do it. I don't understand. You know that book that Ken tagged about 50 times earlier? The, the unoffendable. We're doing a Wednesday nights, by the way, a new study. In the book, uh, they're talking about a pastor. A pastor's talking about a, a missionary friend of theirs. that They were doing this work overseas. They've been there for 10 years or so. I mean, just really making an impact. And one day... Uh, uh, Somebody shot the husband, killed the husband. It was out of hatred for what they were doing. The next day, the wife went to visit the man that shot her husband and forgave him. That's not in us. We don't have the strength or the power to respond that way. Only when we have a life that's full of prayer and fasting do we have the power to respond like we should respond. When we, have, when we pray and when we fast, we have access to the power of the kingdom of God. Some of you are like, well, why, why can't I just be more disciplined? Why can't I just be a better person? Why can't I just be, why can't I? Well, here's the problem with that, Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. This is why, because you're in a spiritual battle and some of you don't even know it. There's a spiritual warfare going going over you and you don't realize it, that you need power you don't have. You need a supernatural power in your life. It only comes through prayer and fasting. We have to be hungry for God. This is why it's so important that you be hungry for God because prayer and fasting develops that hunger inside of us and we get power that we don't have in ourselves. So prayer and fasting brings the power that we need in our lives. The second thing prayer and fasting does, it reveals wounds in our lives. So let's, you know, we're talking about all this hunger. You know, food is one of the biggest issues many people face today. And have you ever heard you can eat your feelings? Come on, we know, right? Think about it. The enemy is very good at telling us we're no good, right? The enemy is very good, and this is spiritual warfare. The enemy is very good. Oh, you're no good. You can't do that right. Oh, you can't even do that right. Oh, you really screwed that up. Oh, you're not very important. Oh, you're not very successful. Oh, you're not here. Oh, you should be here by now. Oh, you're only making that much money. You should be making this money. You can't provide. And the enemy just crashes down upon us, don't we? And so oftentimes, we're overwhelmed by lies of the enemy. What do we do? Okay, let's be honest. Let's honesty in a moment, right? We turn to food. Come on. I'm not the only one. Come on. Tell me mint chocolate chip won't make everything better. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Tell me, uh, ultimate pepperoni thin crust will not, wa- that grease will wash away all your troubles. I mean, that's what I'm talking about, right? A l- whole bag of Little Debbie donuts, that's heaven. And by the time you get through the bag, you're so sick, you're like, forgot about what you were even upset about, right? We turn to food. Why? Because the food, it's weird, but the food, it seems to quiet the negative voice in our lives. And I know this is funny, but there's truth behind this. We all do it. We eat our feelings. So what fasting does, it takes away our defenses. Actually, it takes away our defenses of comfort, is what fasting does for us. I mean, when we're feeling overwhelmed, disoriented, we just want to shut everything off and down a pepperoni pizza, Right? I'm not the only one. Nobody's being honest this morning, but I am. And don't get me wrong, food food is not bad. I mean, food really reveals how great our God is, doesn't he? I mean, He could have given us creativity creativity only come up with bread and water, and that's as far as we ever take food. But He didn't. He let us enjoy spices, spices, flavors. I mean, he's, he's done some wonderful things. But food is never meant to heal our wounds. But yeah, that's what a lot of people do. They, they try to, to, to heal with food. And so what fasting sometimes does is it reveals the wounds in our lives. So if you find yourself turning to Little Debbie's after feeling less than, maybe that's a little red flag that we need to turn to God instead of Little Debbie's. You know, Maybe that's a red flag that every time you know you're an emotional eater and you know what triggers you, that's a red flag. I'm not saying it always will be, but that could be a spiritual attack. Because if you listen to that voice enough times, you start believing that voice in your head. This is who you are. This is all you ever be. This is all you ever accomplish. This is what you're made for. You start believing that. And left unchecked, that's going to mess you up. And you're like, Pastor, I think you're stretching it a little bit. No, I'm just speaking practically this morning. This is practically something everybody deals with. Practically speaking, when's the last time you turned to prayer and fasting over chocolate almond? I mean, come on. Prayer and fasting probably probably not even on our radar. But there's been proven studies about how much we turn to food for comfort. And so what fasting does, it reveals some things in us, and that's, that's a good thing. So I want to wrap this up. I need to wrap this up. I wanted to be done by 12. I apologize. Ryan, can you come back to the keyboard for me? I want to show you the heart of a man who had this hunger for God. Psalms 42, 1 and 2. Many of you have heard this before. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O oh my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? This is David. A man after God's heart. You see his heart. Psalm 63, 1 and 2. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. Behold your power and your glory. This is hunger for God. You know what happens to many Christians? We get comfortable. We get comfortable in church. And so we allow church to be comfortable in, in the fact that Oh, I come to church. We had a great worship service. I had the Holy Ghost goosebumps this morning, and I'm good with God. And we don't think about God the rest of the week. We don't pray. We don't crack our word open. We don't do none of that. There's no hunger because you're filling up with junk through the week, and you think Sunday's going to fix everything for you. We've become comfortable with it. Psalms 27:4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house, Lord, all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Do you hear the cry of David's heart? That's hunger. That should be the cry of every one of our hearts. Oh, I want more of you, O Lord. I want more of you. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want to recognize your voice, O Lord. The hunger for God. We need to get to a place where we're... We're content. We're content. We're we're content that Jesus saved us. I think for many Christians, that's where it stops. You're content that you're going to heaven, and that's good. But at the same time, there has to be discontentment because we want more. Oh, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Oh, Jesus, thank you for rescuing me. But we got to get like David there's more. I know there's more. Lord, I saw this little glimpse, and I know there's more. God, you said. That the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in me. I want to see that power. I want to have access to the power. I want to be walking in confidence in that power so I know there's more. So let's not be content. Oh, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. I want to be like Enoch. Come on. i walk with God. I don't know what happened. Now I'm in heaven. That's like the best way you can go. Tell me there's not parts of Jesus you've not seen. I'm so thankful all that God has done for me. But I want more. It's like guys, guys. If you ever eat a Panera, you know Panera. You get your food at Panera. You're like, huh? That's a cute snack. Where's the rest of it at? I'm like what? What the? What's this? Like I got to order two meals it'll be full. And you so, but, but you get your one meal and you're happy because your wife loves the place, all right? And you eat your little sandwich and your soup. and you... But it just leaves you wanting more. To, like you're content because I'm not dogging it. It's good food. But it, want, it leaves you wanting more, doesn't it? That's what God should do for you and I. We're content. We're happy. I mean, it's good. But, oh, there's so much more. There's so much goodness in him we have not experienced. I want to experience more of his grace. I want to experience more of his presence in my life. That's the kind of prayers we see David pray in Psalms. psalm. Psalms 24, 27, 4. Let me read it to you one more time. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of his temple. David understood content and discontentment. New Testament, Paul, Philippians 3, 8-12, I love this. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I might know him. You see a hungry heart here. You see he's content, but he's hungry. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. I may share in his suffering, become like him in death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already attained this or I'm perfect, but I press on because Christ Jesus made me his own. Here's a big takeaway that David and Paul understood, and I want us to grab a hold of this morning. The way to abundance is abstinence. The way to abundance is abstinence. And this is countercultural to the world. The world tells you, you need more, you need more, you need more, you need more. And we know pursuing these things will not satisfy us. But when we fast, we're separating ourselves from the current culture, and we're beginning to join with God's heart. When you fast, you're saying there's something better. There's something greater than food. You're saying no to food and you're rebelling against the spirit of our age. You're saying that Jesus is a greater treasure, that Jesus is better, that Jesus is more worthy, that Jesus is more satisfied. So bottom line is this, and I'm, I'm closing. Why do we pray and fast? It's very, very simple. Because Jesus is better and he should be pursued. Jesus is better than anything you can fill your life with. Those things that, that seem to take the edge off, that the food that dulls the, the noise. That, that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything you're pursuing right now. And so I want to leave you with this challenge. The challenge for you is to pursue him this week to quiet the noise and pursue him. Whatever that may be for you, it may be social media, it may be Netflix, it may be food. I find that food is a very powerful influence in my life. And so whenever I fast food, it, 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 it means a lot more to me. And so I actually want to challenge you guys to do this. I don't say you have to, I want to challenge you to accept it. This week, would you think about fasting two meals? I myself have found like a breakfast and lunch is is pretty good routine for me. I'm not really influencing a lot of people. Um, I'm usually by myself, so nobody has to suffer. You know, you ever been that guy you go out to eat with everybody like, oh, I'm fasting. Then you're like, man, I'll just take bread and a salad. I mean, you feel horrible, right? Don't be that guy. So just, you know, just whatever works for you, find a day this week, maybe you could fast two meals. And then as you're fasting today, as your stomach starts growling, you know it will. Let that be just a flag to you saying, hey, I need to pray. Because really, let's be honest, what's fasting without prayer? It's a diet, right? I mean, come on, we're not going on a diet. We're, we're praying and fasting. We're well, with a purpose. And our purpose is we want more of God. We want to know God. Why? Because Jesus is better. Would you stand with us this morning? I want you to remember that content and discontentment. I don't ever want us to get stopped on content. I want us to be thankful for all that God has done for us, but also realize how much more He has for you. You need a spiritual breakthrough, it's only going to come through prayer and fasting. You need a miracle in your life. Prayer and fasting. You need to hear from God? Prayer and fasting. Whatever you need. He said there's power to be had, but that there's only some things that come through prayer and fasting. And we've become so content, we're like, well, oh, that's only when pastor says in January we'll do that. No. I challenge you to make this a monthly thing. You want to really get crazy? Make it a weekly thing. I want to be like David. I just need more of you, God. I just want to look upon you, Lord. I just want to be in your presence, just a moment in your temple, just a a glimpse of your glory. I need that. I need that. I need that for my wife. I need that for my kids. I need that kind of relationship with Jesus to live in this world. Because this world has a lot to offer, but Jesus has something so much better. Don't be distracted. Go for the better. Go for the better. Dear Father, Lord God, I pray. Lord, I pray that we heard your heart today. And we're challenged to turn to you, Lord God. Not to be content with our relationship with you. But for us to realize, oh, there's more. Oh, there's parts of you I don't know about. Oh God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us in our hunger and our longing for you that you'd show up in such a real way, Lord God. For those in here that this week may fast for the first time, Lord God, I pray that you meet with them in such a powerful way it leaves them hungry for more, Lord Jesus, God. I pray that every person who takes the challenge of fasting this week, Lord God, you show up in such a real way. They're just blown away. It's like, oh, that's what it is. Oh, that's what it's like. Oh, I want so much more of you. I need more of you, Jesus. So Lord, I pray that we take this seriously and that we'd honestly consider giving up something this week for you just to let you know you're better. You're better than this. You're more important than this. And in those moments, you show up in such a powerful way. It changes the course of some lives in you. the precious Holy Name we pray.